Hello and welcome to Open Sources Christmas on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico and joining me is... Scotty Hertz and I'm actually joined by our cat who has taken over the uh, good office chair. So (laughs) if you hear somebody chiming in uh, either way (laughs) with a meow meow here and a meow meow there. What is what is it about cats that can't make people want to keep them in line? Like I see people <laughs> yell at their dogs all the time, but nobody will yell at their cat. It's just like, yeah, okay, cat, just do whatever you want. We don't care. Well, you can, but it's you know, it just doesn't translate. You know, pure <laughs> so, energy. I love it in a way. So the cat, way, just, the cat's just sitting there hearing wah 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 yeah. wah wah wah, like a Charlie Brown Christmas. Currently sleeping, but we'll see. <laughs> All right. how it goes <laughs> standing by for cat updates open source is a cfru's political and current affairs discussion show and you can find us here every thursday at 5 p.m as we talk about the latest news items from guelph ontario canada and around the world and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians this week though because it is christmas week that means it's time for our annual political movie show so if you're looking for something to watch over this Christmas break, we will have some suggestions. Um, or if you just uh, want a break from all the craziness, uh, Guelph City Hall and Queens Park and the House of Commons, and the Supreme Court, Supreme Court the entire Canada, planet, yeah, that's... Capitol Hill in the United States, <laughs> the House of Commons in the UK, Kremlin, Wherever the French Parliament meet, you know, it's just been a crazy year. Anyway, um, this is the, what is this, the eighth annual movie show, political movie show? I think it is eighth. Yes, we we just had the 400, so it's eight. Um, I do have the rundown handy if you want to hear it. Yes, please. Yeah, I almost forget what we've watched. Okay. So the 16 movies and or TV shows we've talked about so far are from Scotty. Borgen, Land and Freedom, Suffragette, Wiener, Fahrenheit 11.9, Sorry to Bother You, Chappaquiddick, Knock Down the House, The Front Runner, The New Corporation, The Unfortunately Necessary Sequel, On the Basis of Sex, and What is Democracy? And then from me, Adam, in case you've forgotten, uh, it is Head of State, W, Dixie Chick, Shut Up and Sing, Mitt, uh, You Don't Mess with the Zohan, Still can't believe that came out. Uh, <laughs> get out. <laughs> they live. White House down. Parasite. Election. Lincoln. Selma. White Squall. And falling down. And that was from last year's very special. Uh, let's get to the bottom of all these weirdo conspiracy movies that conspiracy weirdos love. Anyway. Um, so that's the 16 we've done so far. Or excuse me. The um, 14 we've done so far. We're going to add uh the the next two uh for for this year and uh why don't we get right into that and i will since i'm in control of the zoom call here i will invite scotty to offer the first pick and i should mention we've never overlapped no that's true although i suspect well that may or may not change with my first pick which Mm -hmm. is kind of mainstream which i don't normally go but (laughs) this one i did and it would be judas and the black messiah oh yeah which you it's not on your list, Adam? It's not on my list, no. Wow, okay. But so, I have I have seen it. We did an end credits about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So for those that don't know the story, and I'm sure quite a few of you do, uh, considering this is the age of conspiracy, this film is about an actual conspiracy that happened in the late 1960s with the, uh, I guess it was the Illinois chapter chair of the Black Panthers, Fred Hampton. Mm -hmm. Very young man, 19 years old. And I'm not giving too much away in saying that he was uh, assassinated by the Mm -hmm. FBI, which is part of the story in this movie, but it's really about how uh, he was sold out by the aforementioned Judas mm-hmm. uh, to the FBI and how all of that played out. Now, all the people mentioned in this, I don't think there's many composite characters in this film, uh, all real people. It included uh, Daniel Kaluuya, mm-hmm. who plays uh, Fred Hampton. And what there's an, an interesting overlap here, Adam, because two of the films you mentioned, uh, he was in Get Out, right? He was in Get Out, yeah. And Lakeith Stanfield plays uh, William O'Neill, the Judas mentioned, who was a small-time criminal who ended up embedded in the Black Panthers and as a rat to the FBI, who was in Sorry to Bother You. So we've got this, like, (laughs) (laughs) these people are going to be in the, you know, future movies like this, probably, I would imagine. Jesse Plemons as uh, Roy Mitchell, the FBI agent who uh, installs Judas into his role. And... uh, Dominique Fishback plays uh, Fred Hampton's partner, Deborah Johnson. And Deborah Johnson, who's now known as Akuya Najeri, was directly involved with the film. The family of uh, Fred Hampton was involved with this movie, uh, I think up to and including casting. There was some comment about, and this seems to be a trend in America where they get uh, English, UK actors to play their top people. <laughs> I'm thinking about uh, David Olewo from uh, Selma, who played uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is, you know, Daniel Kaluuya got uh, thumbs up from the family, including Fred Hampton Jr., mm-hmm. um, who was who sort of appears in the movie because um, Deborah Johnson at the time was pregnant with Fred Hampton Jr. when. Uh, dad Fred Hampton was assassinated at the age of 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if you've seen, I'm sure some of you have probably seen, uh, if you haven't seen this movie, you've seen foul footage or know who Fred Hampton is. Kaluuya nails it so thoroughly. Like, and that is part, what's amazing about this film is the rendition of uh, real events that happened, translating into film, plus putting the backstory uh, over top of all that. And the casting too. I mean, even the even the way that they look is is fairly accurate. Uh, up into like Keith Stanfield, there's a um, a mugshot of William O'Neill uh, when he was arrested several years later. Mm-hmm. He was embedded with the Black Panthers for uh, several years before all of that fell apart. And uh, the casting is amazing. I don't know much about Ray Mitchell from the FBI, but Jesse Plemons nails it. They just they just you know cover it all. I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's uh, that's <laughs> number one, and I know you've seen it. So I, I I knew in the back of my head that you'd seen it because I heard that end credits. So. No, no, uh, it is really good. Although once you kind of learn that Fred Hampton was twenty one when he died, and Daniel Kaluuya is is clearly not twenty one. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it does. Uh, I, I mean, that's not to say it isn't a great movie. It is. It's definitely a great movie and great performances. Um, it, but you know, there there is a to to uh daniel Kaluuya's credit as a performer there, there's you know he had, he brings real intensity um but he also brings like a real kind of sense of the inner world mm-hmm. of of hampton it, you know who started the rainbow coalition which was you know he he 
there's a certain image of Black Panthers that's propagated by, you know, uh, people on the right that it's like this militant group that's of scary black people. But um, what the movie does is reinforce like, well, that wasn't like being scary wasn't what the Black Panthers was about. Like uh, there was a fierceness. Yes, there was an intensity. Yes, but there was also a lot of outreach to um the hispanic community and also to the poor white community and there's a mm-hmm. great scene in that movie where he they, they go to um the black panthers go to this i i can't remember if it was like a small church or like some sort of community gathering um but there's you know very clearly a confederate flag tacked to the front of the room and uh you know the black panthers come in and, and there's immediate sense of hostility and and sort of like a, a tension in the air and uh Kalu as Fred as uh, Fred starts talking about, you know, you know, I bet the the cops bother you guys too, and you guys are send your kids to the same crappy schools and you know, they, they want us to be at each other's throats and we should be like teaming up and getting at their throats. And uh, you know, there's a real sense of um I guess something lost. Like what could Fred Hampton have been if he hadn't been killed? Oh yeah. You know, if if that's if he was working on this level before he was you know legally allowed to drink, what could he have done if he was, I don't know, thirty five, a community organizer, a uh, beloved black figure from Chicago? Any of this sound familiar? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and that's exactly what the American establishment was afraid of. Mm-hmm. That's what the phrase "black messiah." It comes from reportedly J. Edgar Hoover, who is portrayed in the film by Martin Sheen. Great casting. And, oh yeah, <laughs> who had said? Who had said? He had said supposedly, or paraphrased a bit. It was like you know these we we can't have this community and these people yeah. having a black messiah. We need to dispose of them. And uh, I guess his his murder was passed off as justifiable homicide. Mm-hmm. Ninety shots. He was yeah, shot yeah. ninety times in his bed while the other panthers were in the house including his uh partner yeah and uh, two people were killed that day actually but that i mean the, the, the whole intent of the mission was to take hampton out and that's you know over time it has it has come out and become clear that 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 was the goal yeah it is and it is also a almost a great question of what could have been i thought it was interesting too because uh it was they spoke to uh, shaka king the director and co-writer of the film on Democracy Now!, which is one of CFRU's uh, well-known shows, uh, <laughs> Daily at 11, a little plug there. But uh, Juan Gonzalez, who is one of the co-hosts of that show, was one of the young lords. So somebody involved in that interview was actually present. I mean, not present when Hampton was assassinated, but you know, he was part of one of the community groups that Hampton uh, was trying to bring together with, as he said, the Rainbow Coalition. Mm-hmm. Which I think sort of lumbered on in some form, right? Like, didn't uh, Jesse Jackson kind of try and revive the idea, or the concept of it? Yeah. Um, but well, yeah, he, it, he borrowed the he borrowed the name Rainbow Coalition. And- borrowed the name, but it it obviously didn't hit the same level. Mm-hmm. Although he was fairly active in those days as well as a young a young person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he was there the day uh, King got shot. Martin Luther King got shot. Yeah. And that happened supposedly. I think that was just down the, you know, down the road from all of this as well, like uh, Panther headquarters or whatever. But yeah, it's yeah. It, it, I mean, there, there's so much skullduggery, and of course, I think it was earlier this year that you know it, it came out that the guys they 
you know, convicted for killing Malcolm X or maybe it was late last year, but or what, it, it's fairly recent that it turns out yeah, like, yeah, there's another real life conspiracy is that they've put guys in jail for killing Malcolm X who may not have been guilty either. Um, so it, it's, I mean, this was like, it, it, this was a fascinating time just because of the activism, but also because of the, the to the extent that activism um, was kind of viewed with like, I mean, we kind of think activism now is viewed with hostility. We see things like, you know, the, the G20 being broken up by police and, and things like that. But, you know, that's all out in the open. This was, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> literally smoke lit rooms. Um, and I want to just, uh, I want to tag into like Keith Stanfield is really, really good because he's, he, um, he has such a squirrely presence, which is, oh, yeah. Yeah. Which, <laughs> which is great for this William character who at a certain point of the film forgets that he's kind of undercover to the FBI and that he's kind of indebted to the FBI. And he's kind of, I mean, they kind of entrap him, but he keeps getting uh, reminded that, you know, <laughs> yeah, he keeps getting reminded. You, son. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, um, and, it, and it's great because Jesse Plemons is kind of pleasant. So you, you, and, and although I guess there's some element of, he feels a bit shady about what he's doing. There's also an element of um, him enjoying like having this guy under thumb as well. And there's the great scene at the, um, at, at the, this community meeting where um, Hampton's doing this like call and response. Um, and it's cutting between that and uh jesse plemons and lucky stanfield looking across the room at each other and and uh william desperately trying to avoid mitchell's gaze that's right <laughs> um because it's it's a reminder that he's playing a part and uh that he is uh ultimately a judas even while he's um acting as a good apostle so yeah that's it's a it's a good movie um okay in a similarly themed pick Ooh. for me I went back to 1967. Wow. And, uh, well, you know, the movies came out then. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the reason I uh, I chose this one is because I was reminded um, time moves really fast, obviously. But when we were doing an end credits episode a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about people who passed away this year. Um, This actor was on the list he died six days into 2022 um and so uh it's kind of easy to forget but sydney poitier died this year oh yeah yeah and so i want to highlight and it's been on my kind of like we got to put this on the show at some point list um in the heat of the night oh yeah the great norman jewinson film um based on the novel by john ball um it's on several lists as being you know one of the greatest movies of all time one of the most quotable movies of all time with you know some of the great characters of all time uh it is the story of virgil tibbs who is a philadelphia homicide detective he is on his way home passing through this small mississippi town and uh a rich man who has uh, come from the north to build a, a new factory in sparta that's the name of the town he's found murdered uh, the chief of police and uh, his force respond. Um, the um, he uh, one of the police officers, Woods, is ordered to basically do like a perimeter sweep, I guess you would call it, and uh, 
He goes to the train station, and what does he find? A strange black man who is well-dressed and has a lot of money in his pocket, so naturally he did it. And, <laughs> and uh, I mean, we can laugh about it, but, I mean, this is almost yeah. literally how police work is cracked sometimes, but... Um, and it's, I mean, also happened repeatedly. I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but he's the subject of the, the film Just Mercy. That's essentially how he was wrongfully convicted of a murder is because he was the black man everyone hated in town. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting back to the, in the heat of the night, um, Tibbs is taken to the police station. The chief starts interrogating him and, uh, and Tibbs, uh, remark, the, the chief chief says, well, how'd you get all this money? And, and Tim says, well, I earned it. And uh, the chief says, doing what? And it's this great sort of drop mic moment when uh, Tim says, I'm a police officer, and then drops his badge on the desk. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so it uh, ends up Tibbs uh, is ordered by his own police chief to give the Sparta police a hand, um, which Gillespie, which is the, the police chief played by Rod Steiger, uh, reluctantly accepts. Uh, because the 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 widow of the murdered man, uh, clearly unimpressed with the lackluster police work, um, senses that Tibbs is a professional and uh, an experienced investigator who could probably get to the bottom of it, and she is correct. And uh, I mean, the case is the case is kind of kind of unfolds quite simply, but what the the drama is rich in this sort of undercurrent of racism and um what happens when this um black man who's who's used to um being treated with some authority being a police officer in a big city is sort of dropped into this setting where his authority and experience mean nothing and it, it and he is basically put in charge of of getting results on what is probably the worst crime this town has ever seen or has seen lately. And uh, there's a great scene where uh, Tibbs is, you know, trying to leave town and uh, Gillespie's trying to convince him to stay. And it's, it's, you can see Gillespie kind of fighting against himself um, because he's been ordered by the mayor to like, make sure Tibbs stays to help solve this crime. And um, Tibbs is extremely, reticent um and and uh you know he says to gillespie is you know well why don't you solve it and then gillespie like just says out loud like i don't know how and so um, it's Mm. it's tearing him apart to admit that in this particular aspect this aspect of policing he is probably lesser than this black man and i mean in in the course of the film i don't think racism is solved in sparta mississippi at the end but there is (laughs) obviously <laughs> but there is um it, it does air out a lot of a lot of dirty laundry in in a sense too and of course this movie i mean it doesn't seem particularly incendiary now but this movie at the time they could not shoot south of the mason dixon they shot mm-hmm. it in sparta sparta illinois um but uh they, they did some like um on location shooting in tennessee and Sidney poitier said he like all the time they're in Tennessee, he slept with a gun under his pillow. Uh, yeah, because he's like the most famous black actor probably ever, but certainly at the time he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the production ended up getting essentially run out of Tennessee because of the threats. And again, like, you know, it sounds kind of familiar, right? We, <laughs> this happens pretty frequently now, uh, perhaps in the context of drag shows and not, not less so much movies, but, um, yeah, it, it's 
it's the, you you kind of have to appreciate just how incendiary this and how innovative this movie was because uh haskell wexler who was the cinematographer um made this adjustment um because they never took into account like how light falls on black skin differently from white skin right. they yep. would always light for the white actors if there even if there was a black actor in a scene and wexler had this great idea it's like well what if i light this so that you know the black actor is lit as well as the white actors <laughs> and you can definitely see the difference um there's there's not this glare on on poitier that you sometimes see on black actors in in movies before this so it, it's innovative in so many different ways technically behind the camera but also in front of the camera and the story it wants to tell and um i mean there's a reason it stands up it's it's still um i mean in an era where yeah, if you're black, you get picked up by the police. Doesn't matter. If it, mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't matter. You're black. You're here. You're guilty. And uh, that, and you know, it's it's still like really, really powerful in 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 that way. Oh, even though, I, even though, as I said, the mystery is kind of simple, but the, the everything else going on around the mystery is um, is so top notch. It's it's so it's got great tension. It's also got great humor in it as well um and then two great performances steiger won the oscar um and you may be thinking to yourself like why didn't poitier win the oscar it's like because this was his murderer's row year um Hmm. where in the same calendar year he's in in the heat of the night uh two stir with love and guess who's coming to dinner and so the story is that like he was just in so many great movies that year. The Academy had no idea what to nominate him for, so they didn't nominate him for anything. <laughs> yeah, and he eventually got that Lifetime Achievement Award, right? So he did, but he also oh. won. He won the Oscar for Lilies in the Field in I think sixty four. Yeah, so. I, I I don't think people realize how uh, cutting edge this was, and those other films you mentioned too. I'm pretty sure that uh, this in the Heat of the Night. And guess who's coming to dinner? Both on that list of like you know the hundred films that need to be preserved for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. I'm not. I'm not certain on that. You can fact check me on that. But I'm pretty sure because you hear about it all the time. And I th- I'm haven't seen this movie in a lot of years. But now that you've mentioned it, I almost feel like I want to check it out again. I mm-hmm. th- it was Saturday night at the movies <laughs> on TVO. I really date myself, but. <laughs> <laughs> I would always lean pretty hard into these films, including, as you said, Lilies of the Field, which I think was one of my mother's favorite movies, mm-hmm. Heat of the Night, and I uh, guess is coming to dinner because the times were, as, as we talked about in movie one there, Judas the Black Messiah, the times were a change in, in, in 60s America mm-hmm. to such a degree that it couldn't help but bleed into the, you know, the cultural zeitgeist that was going on. Mm-hmm. And Poitier was considered to be uh, an acceptable blackface, let's say. And I, you know, right. at the time, I think he got he did get criticism from certain circles that he was what they would call in the U.S. and Uncle Tom, and that he had sold out to uh, to whiteness. Yeah. Um, in retrospect, that's kind of changed because it's like he was doing things that no one was doing. From well, let's his first role was what was his first big role? Blackboard Jungle. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is only comes to mind because we talked about it in, a, in a course that I was in, <laughs> and how that in itself that was, um, you know, addressed life in the rough and tumble 1950s uh, rock and roll universe um, was considered cutting edge as well. But yeah, so he it. Uh, oh yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I completely forgot about this film, but and I, <laughs> off the top there when I was sort of said, "Whoa, the 60s." It's like I wasn't being critical of that. It's like there's just. <laughs> So much material, yeah. as proven by Jews and Black Messiah, and this film that came came out of that period. Mm-hmm. 
Like, it's not just about the Beatles and hippies and stuff. I mean, this is like, you know, mm-hmm. I still feel like all the effects of this, as you mentioned, too, about the, um, it is a similar, completely similar with the uh, um, attacks on certain groups like drag queens or you name it, um, mm-hmm. in that, you know, judgment still incorrect judgment still stands and we still find ourselves in this place where it's you're you're just um that there's this this set of prejudices that we can't shake somehow so and you talked about you know Poitier's image and yeah there there was a lot of uh, Bill Cosby I, I mean we we don't, we now know about Bill Cosby Bill, yeah. Bill Cosby got a lot of that criticism as well and Bill Cosby was an innovator himself um he he's the one who suggested that you know if you're doing stunts for a black actor maybe you should have a black stuntman because uh, until i spy which is the series he did in the 60s oh yeah um stunt actors were white and they would put on blackface if they were doing stunt for a black actor um so you know bill cosby is like hey i'm a black actor maybe i should have a black stuntman and you know suddenly lights go off um but, but in terms of poitier though um, the, the prop, maybe arguably the most famous scene in, in in the heat of the night is when they go and see Endicott, who is the the other rich man in Sparta. He owns a cotton field, uh, and uh, they go and see him because uh, the co- cobalt, the murdered man, would be the obvious competitor for you know esteem, local esteem, and and talent and jobs and stuff for for Endicott. And Endicott is just being like blatantly racist with Tibbs. And uh, so Tibbs is like questioning him. It's like, well, you know, Colbert, you, you know, would be, you know, a threat to you and your position here. And, you know, we just want to know where you were last night. <laughs> and Endicott slaps him and Tibbs slaps him right back. And apparently that wasn't in the script. And there's like, right. mixed, there's yeah. mixed accounts of this. But apparently Poitier said, like, look, if he slaps me, I'm going to slap him back. <laughs> and, and so they it, it ends up in the script somehow. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of those scenes where you can just like hear the tension because also Endicott's manservant is in the room. He just came back in the room with it, like a pitcher of lemonade. And, and so, you know, you feel that tension. Um, and Endicott says to Gillespie, did you just see that? And Gillespie says, yes. And Endicott says, well, what are you going to do about it? And Gillespie just stands there stunned. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> Because he knows Tibbs is absolutely in the right, but he can't admit that um, the the richest, most racist man in town was probably in the wrong just to slap him. Um, and then you know T- Gillespie and Tibbs leave, and it's just Endicott and the, and his manservant standing there, and his manservant gives him like the evil eye, and it's it's kind of it's kind of great. <laughs> oh yeah, that that calling Mister Tibbs line is up there with anything out of any of the classic movies, right? Yeah, like- yeah. Yeah, uh, play it, Sam, and whatnot. But I mean, there's so many great lines in it that 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 are just like like when they're driving to Endicott's house and they're literally driving through the cotton fields, and Tibbs is looking at it out the car window, and Gillespie turns to him and says, "None of that for you, huh, Virgil?" And it's like this little subtle jab. It's it's yeah. it's uh, it's it's just so great. It says so much, and Poitier's reaction says so much, and it's uh, it's it's so great. And the Quincy Jones music is great, and. Um, Oh, well, that's it. right. That yeah, and there was wasn't there. A, I I remember seeing. I can't remember the name of it offhand right now. There was a sequel as well, right? Which was yeah, a bit yeah. more, if I remember right, headed into. I hate to say this, but like black exploitation kind of 
where yeah. Tibbs was like this shaft style character fighting. Oh, it's ringing a bell, but I can't. Right. You should, you but, should know the title. It's they call, uh, they call me Mr. Tibbs. That's oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not That's, the same film as this. I wouldn't, you know, if you're going to watch any of the, of the series, definitely, definitely watch this one. Yeah, but. Watch the original, watch the original. Always. Like, well, I'm, I'm about to break my own rule coming up with my next pick, but stay tuned. Oh. Um, you're no, listening. I just ask where you, yes. uh, where you watch this, what uh, format I have it on DVD. Oh, you have it on DVD classic format hashtag Other long than... hashtag long live physical media wasn't 16 millimeter no i don't I'm not quite that bad yet <laughs> i'm not rich enough to have 16 millimeter anyway um we're gonna come right back with our second pick you're listening to open sources guelph's annual political movie show here on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio we can't take it no more that song won one of the two oscars that judas and the black messiah was awarded with the song is called a fight for you by her from the judas and the black messiah soundtrack it was best original song mm-hmm. this year's oscars and Kalua won the oscar mm-hmm. uh, for best supporting well earned well earned all of it except they pitted uh, they pitted him and Stanfield against each other, and it just felt like that should. In the supporting happened. category, yeah, which I thought was yeah. odd, but yeah, I guess. Not cool, not cool, no. Oscars. We'll, we'll give him, <laughs> we'll give him an award, I mean, the Open Sources Award for <laughs> for not cool, <laughs> for, no, for best for best supporting actor. All right, good enough, good enough. All right, so uh, we're in the second half of the show, which means it's time for second picks. So, Scotty, uh, oh, I'm up. What, okay. what, do you, what do you got? What do you got? This one uh, is a film that's accessible to all if you're living in Canada at nfb.ca, free to stream, which is always good. Mm-hmm. It's called Freelancer on the Front Lines. I'm not sure if you've heard of this one, Adam. Mm-hmm. I've heard you- of it. You've heard of it. So it's the story. It tells it's a documentary. It tells the story of uh, Jesse Rosenfeld. And I first heard of Jesse Rosenfeld, who is a freelance reporter uh, focusing on the Middle Eastern area uh, when the police beat the crap out of him at the G20, uh, which was something that I had missed by about 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> famously. <laughs> famously. Yeah. Just sort of was able to get out of the area. And obviously, haven't you know i'm not the level of freelancer that jesse rosenfeld is so anyway uh the idea of this film is that santiago uh, bertolino who was the um documentary maker embedded himself with rosenfeld for i think the range seems to be about a year it's around uh 2014 so um rosenfeld is written right right across the board you'll see his byline everywhere intercept daily beast vice uh plus 972 uh, which is the way of the freelancer these days. <laughs> and uh, interestingly, there's a, I should mention that there's a bonus uh, podcast attached to this where he sort of expounds on stuff 
uh, just sort of life as a freelancer and how since probably around the crash of 2008 things completely changed as we know well as you know adam as a mm-hmm. freelancer that mm-hmm. it is impossible to get a solid steady gig with a media organization now it just he mm-hmm. just says that it doesn't exist so for him to uh, gather these stories he has to throw himself right into the fray uh which isn't you know isn't isn't for everybody but it's also you know, things have changed in that when you're when you're doing that it you're you're sort of tied to a lot of it um stems from the internet era where you can just sort of file things immediately mm-hmm. so the dynamic has completely changed from the you picture like dan rather in vietnam or something like that right where it's that classic you know i represent this big news organization and <laughs> i'm there's tons of money and i'm going to do this and of course as we know everything changed after vietnam so this he puts himself in these what i would call these vietnam level uh situations they spend some time with the uh kurds in syria who were fighting isis toe to toe at that point in uh the arc of syria or kurdistan or whatever you want to parts of Iraq, whatever you want to call that area now, but also spends time in Israel, Palestine and the Egyptian election mm. of, uh, I think it was when the CZ was first elected in 2014. And those of us that, or those of you that follow uh, the news, something I think we talked about probably back then mm-hmm. in uh, where it was this period, the, this period of upheaval in, in these countries, Egypt, uh, well, Israel, Palestine, still ongoing, and I, I, <laughs> what made me think of, I had seen this film a while ago, and I watched it again. Uh, what, what made me think of him was the death of Shireen Abu Akleh in, um, in Israel. She was pretty right. much assassinated by Israeli troops as well, Palestinian uh, journalist, and it got me thinking back to this because we see. Um, Rosenfeld on his travels and the G20 is mentioned this happened after it's just his life a slice of his life after this and how he gets stories packing the bulletproof vest packing the helmet uh hoping that you're not going to get shelled or shot at or and just mm. throwing yourself right into the fray and it also does a really good job of talking about um the connections that you have to make when you're in that kind of environment the um the fixers let's call them uh, who probably don't get enough credit either, whether it's somebody, you know, translating for him or, or will it's, it's along the lines of, yeah, I know a guy and he can take this <laughs> yeah. and it's very, it would, it would make a good and has made good fiction. I think in terms of, you know, embedded, not embedded, but journalists that end up in these environments and who you have to pay and who you have to talk to. And uh, it's all about board. It's not it's doing anything uh, untoward. But yeah, it's just one of those one of those things where it's like, um, kind of a a great reflection of of a, a not underrepresented, but um, the way we get news now and how it's not really talked about that there are people putting themselves on the line like this. Mm-hmm. As we heard, well, we heard this week that there's been uh, sixty seven that we know of journalists killed. Um, we're just reporting across the world this year, and there's hundreds more in prison, just in prison for doing exactly what Rosenfeld uh, is doing in various countries. I think the um, the number of journalists killed was high because of Ukraine. There's like 12 alone in Ukraine, just gone. So, and he's he's still at it. He's I, I 
made a point of looking up like his most recent work to see if he was still going and and because you know he is a freelancer it is uh intermittent but he was his willingness to tell the story isn't just, isn't limited to a certain viewpoint he's kind of like okay who is doing what and you'll notice in the film that he asks why a lot mm-hmm. which is a way to always get an answer from somebody whether it's somebody on the street and he does mention this that he would rather like rather than go to say a, a press conference which he does do in the film uh he would rather be out trying to get opinion or comment from people who are living it who are on the street whether they're at the protest whether they're the ones shot at or doing the shooting mm. uh j- just to get that that angle on the story which is which is really the angle that isn't isn't covered right there are I, there are not a lot of people that do this that get right into the nitty-gritty of what's going on his most recent article was about uh palestinian youth who have kind of rejected well obviously don't only reject israel but also the um, Palestinian Authority. So there's mm. this sort of, I wouldn't say gone rogue, but, um, <laughs> and it, it's it's interesting to hear that because we think of this as as the as these struggles as two sides, but there's always, there's always another angle in there that needs to be examined. And that's what freelancers like Rosenfeld are trying to. Yeah, and I mean, this is especially dangerous work. And, um, you know, they're, you know, looking back at the last couple of years, you know, wondering why, how something like the Freedom Convoy can like spring up and you're like, well, where did all these people come from? You know, it's it's honestly because, you know, the, the you know, there are mainstream media outlets and this isn't a commentary on what they value as uh, journalistic outlets. But, you know, there are people who will tell you that they wanted to cover these stories but couldn't get approval because it was dangerous because you're going into a situation with a lot of people who had the potential to be violent um or even more than that people who were definitely not you know taking uh pandemic protections vis-a-vis masking or uh getting their vaccines and so you know there's that that kind of like more uh passive danger as well so yeah you know this is a rare breed and um yeah that number 67 uh you think to yourself geez like you know this is your 2022 this isn't you know uh like world war one where you had like literally thousands of people die every day um and so it wouldn't be terribly surprising if someone gets killed in the course of covering a war and these aren't necessarily wars yeah there's a war going on but these are also like as you said people covering protests um people who you know maybe step out of line as they say um become a danger um to to ruling power um and then you know they they're just out and about covering stuff one day and they're gone um yeah it's dangerous to be a journalist and yeah we can make we can make fun of all we want of like the quaffed buffoons who are in in the in the green room class but you know there are real people out there who are uh putting themselves in like real legitimate danger and i and i agree with them 100 percent like yeah, you it's, it's helps sometimes to go to a press conference, but you know, I've been I've watched enough Doug Ford press conferences to know that there <laughs> <laughs> there's precious little news value in them. <laughs> oh yeah, because and a lot of times I, I would say even most of the times it isn't the story. We we put a lot of weight on them because that's the classic format, yeah. right? It's yeah. like oh, there's going to be a press conference, and we got really used to it during COVID, where Trudeau and company were out every day. Mm-hmm. And that got pretty tiresome really quickly, right? So I, I get what he's saying about that as well. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you, you can't 
say enough how like this this not only is it the, the, the reporters are underreported they're also reporting the underreported stories that as i said before the different um angles to things that that is neglected by you say the the, the, the hair types the the armchair types right there's mm-hmm. no there's and you see this now where it used to be a somebody like rosenfeld would work for a larger organization and then they would get they would do their time mm-hmm. And then they would kind of get called home or called in. I'm thinking about Dan Rather specifically, but there are lots of mm. others. Uh, Peter Kent was one uh, Canadian example, I guess, who was out like right in the thick of it. Yeah. And then you kind of get pulled back, and and due to your reputation, you you know you are you're considered a uh, not a wise person, but seasoned, right? Yeah, you're anchor journalist as opposed to a commentator, and there is a huge difference. And I think it's something that's lacking now, mm-hmm. in that a lot of the commentary that we get, I would say the majority of it is either uh, people that haven't, let's say, done their time in the trenches, mm-hmm. or it's just you know the. And I'm not taking a shot at us specifically, <laughs> but within the podcaster realm, mm-hmm. and it's a big honking realm big realm you know there's lots of people that just like don't leave their basements sitting beside the washing machine putting commentary out there that uh is just coming from their heads there's no real life experience there there's no they just haven't been out and about it's just it's it's opinion as opposed to the story and that distinction just keeps getting more and more blurred and the more that we do that the more the time goes on uh it's just going to keep doing that unless you know the rosenfelds of the world uh keep at it and keep bringing actual stories and actual news to us rather than just your opinion of the world my thoughts my true sense (laughs) (laughs) yeah just give me a sec here he wasn't talking about you washing machine Okay. Um, or, or the cat. She's she's awfully <laughs> quiet. Uh. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there's also the revolving door of like the consultant class where when they're not working on campaigns or in, you know, they're, they have media jobs and then the campaigns on, they go back to. Yeah. So it's. Yeah. In my world and yours, I think it's not, that's not journalism. It's just not. Yeah. No. Right? Yeah. 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 You're right. All right. <clears throat> so it's my turn. Um, oh, I'll, I'll, before I get into my turn, I just want to shout out the NFB uh, streaming channel. Oh, uh, yeah. Because they're, like, there's a ton of free stuff on it. Um, org and NFB.ca is like, yeah, we'll keep you entertained for free if you live in Canada. Yeah. Um, for, for, Ontario, for Ontario for TVO and NFB is Canada wide. But yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, it's like there, there's so much content there um, on a variety of different subjects. Uh for now for something completely different um i was kind of in a dark place before the u.s midterms Mm -hmm. uh it was halloween so i was like what should i watch to you know kind of indulge these dark feelings that i have um while also kind of taking my mind off of it although not really um (laughs) so i popped in uh a little movie called the purge anarchy um, which is the second Purge movie in the series of uh, of films, which is uh, takes place in a dystopian United States, where every year there is a day for twelve hours when crime is legal, 
and the, <laughs> including murder. Although there, as as you learn through the course of watching the films, there are certain rules. Um, there are certain government officials who are off limits naturally, class ten and above. Um, but it it it, it is uh, a series that is based around this idea that America under this basically Handmaid's Tale-like government of Christian fundamentalists, the New Founding Fathers, has um, rejuvenated America, low crime rates, low poverty rates, and it's all being pinned on this uh, this one day of purging that because people are able to get out all this negativity in this one 12 hour period every year that America can bloom and flourish again. And of course, what you realize and this movie starts to dig into that mythology is that it's basically BS. Um, the first movie is essentially a morale. I mean, these are all morality plays to an extent, but um, it, the first movie is set in uh, one ha- guy's house um, over the purge night. This takes the, this takes us out into the world of the purge we follow a man who is never identified until the end um played by frank grillo who people may know from the marvel movies he's crossbones in the captain america movies oh yeah um but you see him suiting up at the beginning he's putting on a bulletproof vest and he's got a bag full of guns and he's armored plated his car and he's going on on purge night why we don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But um, <laughs> he's he, he's on a mission. Um, we also meet other people on Purge Night. Uh, we meet uh, two sisters uh, named Eva and Callie. Uh, they are kind of uh, they're working class, and I mean, this is where the the BS of the the Purge mythology comes into play because they're clearly like working class people struggling. So poverty is still rather relative. Their father is terminally ill. His medication is expensive. Um, and then we also meet another couple who um, are basically entrapped. They're trying to get home before sunsets because uh, the purge is sundown to sun up. And uh, their car has been sabotaged and they're being traced, uh, chased by a roving gang. So they're caught out in the open at the beginning of the purge. And so all these stories coalesce and these these become our, our hero team as they run the gauntlet uh, through the city on Persian night, trying to evade this gang that's chasing the the married couple. Um, these like strangely militarized uh, people with like military weapons and tactics and surveillance. And uh, mm, I wonder what their story is. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and of course we're we're tr- we, we ha- we're focused on the Frank Grillo's character who essentially sacrifices his car to save the sisters. And then they meet up with the married couple along the way. And he's desperately trying to complete his mission, whatever it is. And um, through the course of the film, we come to understand that there's this undercurrent of the purge that isn't so much about this sort of philosophical um, taking the weight off of, you know, all the negativity. Um, It's become clicky. It's become exclusive. Um, We meet uh, the gang chasing the married couple it turns out they're these freelancers that are collecting people um and then essentially selling them to a bunch of rich pricks to have like these hunting parties in the middle of the perch (laughs) um yeah it's kind of bizarre the the sister's father they they freak out because um he ends up selling himself to like a rich family essentially be like a human sacrifice for them in the safety of the home on yeah in exchange for a hundred dollars that goes to them after the purge 
And then um, these military guys, we end up understanding is that uh, they are like black ops, uh, sort of military contractors hired by the new founding fathers to eliminate, you know, people who are poor and people of color to, you know, make the population a little more manageable and they're using the purge as a cover. And so we get this conspiratorial wing. And there's also this um, anti-purge group led by the late, great Michael K. Williams, who um, <laughs> seems very much like a Fred Hampton type or uh, another uh, one of the great black activists who's, who's calling all of this out. Um, and and yeah, so there's a lot of this really great political undercurrent. And, you know, you kind of think, well, this can't happen here. And But, you know, yeah. uh, I think there are a lot of people who are running under the Republican label who probably wouldn't mind a little purge um, and, and are definitely hypocritical enough to believe it would uh, lead to a renewed American spirit. And yeah, it's I mean, I these movies, say, is there, there's probably a conspiracy group in the backwoods of America somewhere that think <laughs> this is real and they're waiting for it. Is I have to ask, is it on a yeah. particular day? Is it like, yes, I'm glad you asked. Of June or <laughs> that might be a little much, but uh, no, the purge is on March 21st, March so, 21st. So the so solstice, the solstice. Yeah. So you get, hmm. you know, an equal amount of day and night. So that's that was very that's I mean it's the most egalitarian part of the purge is the fact that it's on Mar on the solstice <laughs> because this makes it very very clear that uh, all things are not equal during the purge and this, uh, this yeah. sounds wild did you uh, did it did you feel purged after you watch it like of the of cleansed of of all things America <laughs> when you saw it you know I did um, is it considered horror like is it gory. Uh, it can be gory. I mean, it's okay. kind of more actiony. Just as a horror. heads up for people, because I, you know, I, I have a problem with blatant gore. So, um, I mean, I don't think this one is particularly gory. The first one is kind of because it's more insular. It, it feels a bit more gory. Um, this one's kind of more actiony, although because you know there are people who go like full purge, like wearing like Halloween masks and stuff when they're out on purge night. It's um, th there's definitely kind of a horror-y aspect to it, but. Um, I don't think this one's particularly gory. I mean, this is an interesting one because they clearly had more of a budget to work with. Mm. And I think once we get to the Trump age, because there have been five Purge movies so far. Really? Yeah. Once we get to the Trump era, um, the Purge, I think, loses its satirical edge. <laughs> because you, <laughs> It's actually a documentary by the fifth one, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> you get to... Um, in 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 the Purge three, it it is about um Sergeant, who is the Frank Grillo character, who we learn at the end of this movie. Our, we don't learn his name is Sergeant, but he's somebody calls him Sergeant, which is interesting because it could either be like a military or police rank, or it could be a last name. Um, but in in the third movie, it's all about him protecting this presidential candidate who wants to end the Purge, and it looks like she's going to win. So on Purge night. Um, the new founding fathers take the rules off like, oh, no, no, all government officials are fair game now. And so the <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's that. And that movie ends with uh, interesting. And this movie came out in 2016 and the presidential candidates played by Elizabeth Mitchell, who people know is is um, kind of an older woman. Um well, not old, but you know, she's she's a kind of a middle-aged woman who has blonde hair. So she they were obviously like invoking Hillary vibes. Um, I think I say she ran for Congress or something, but yeah. <laughs> never know. she should. She should. She seems like a very pleasant woman. Um, 
But then the fourth Purge movie is a prequel that goes back to the first Purge, which essentially sets up that the whole thing was a scam from the beginning. And then uh, the last Purge movie, which came out last year, is the Forever Purge, which is um, after Elizabeth Mitchell left office, the new Founding Fathers won an election again and brought back the Purge. And I mean, there's something very prescient about that, too, because, you know, the Americans just put a Republican Congress and place again um except this time uh when purge night is over there's this group that starts the quote-unquote or actually i should say hashtag forever purge where they start just blatantly hunting down people of color and people they don't like wow and um the whole plot is about this group um this ranch owner and his family plus um this uh couple who are undocumented um trying to like race through texas to get to the u.s mexico border because um mexico and canada have opened their borders to american refugees trying to escape the forever purge for six hours before they shut the borders forever and um yeah that movie eventually ends with um canada mexico shutting the borders two million american refugees taking flight from the uh america which is now in the midst of a forever purge so um that doesn't you know following up on you know january 6th and oh um, yeah you know it doesn't seem i'm gonna leave america yeah uh, is this based on a book by any chance or it sounds like it might be initially or is it's original screenplay it could be it is the uh it's the work of uh exclusively of the mind of filmmaker james demonico who directed the first three Mm. um and then wrote the the two subsequent films that they were directed by other people but um this is all him well because it, it's i and i haven't seen any of them but i, I have heard you uh talk about it because it, it's kind of like it takes the two minutes hate from 1984 and then just adds aspects of like the hunger games or the running man to it <laughs> yeah i mean it's all i'm bad. oversimplifying but when as you were talking there i'm thinking about uh the dystopian things we've we've uh seen over the years that are like mm-hmm. this and i guess mm-hmm. it takes a lot of those elements and just adds a, a dose of 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 <laughs> politics eh? that's i mean that's essentially it and so if you're feeling particularly uh dreadful this christmas hey there are five purge <laughs> movies that's that's a binge that's <laughs> i just a, might take you up on that that's a binge and a half anyway <laughs> first show in the new year i'll just be like sh- shaking like all right well that brings us to the end of the show um we're we're leaving it on the purge uh we hope you liked it and we hope you can stay connected to us now and into the new year at open sources guelph.com or on facebook and open sources newswire and on twitter at os underscore guelph you can listen to this show again by downloading it from our website every monday at the guelph politicast channel on podbean or through your favorite podcast app at apple stitcher google TuneIn, and spotify you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. Check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Mastodon under that name. And if you're joining us on the FM, stay tuned for the fantastic Turtle Island Underground. Yes, indeed. And uh, we just want to take a moment to say to everyone who's listening, and uh, I'll say to you, Scotty, Merry Christmas, and uh, stay tuned for next week's show where we give out the usual year-end awards until then stay tuned for all the great programming here on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio we shall return as i said next thursday for our award show and we will see you then